there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Yeah, that's who we are. That's what we do. Verb. It's what you do. What are you, a Got Milk commercial? No, do you remember the Verb commercials from Nickelodeon, I think, back in the early 2000s? They wanted you to get outside and do things. Oh, right. Did they use the same, like, kind of footage that they also used for like their anti-drug commercials for their oh, definitely. get out yeah. the get outside commercials i feel like it's like the same footage it's like here's an abandoned play park here's some like intense music but also talking to people about not doing drugs drugs are bad okay anyway so seth let's talk about games we've recently been playing because sure. i know we got some games we've recently been playing. Yeah, sure. Definitely. What game have you what game have you been recently playing? Well, I have been playing Beavis and Butthead, the video game. Ooh. Now, for the Sega Genesis. Sega? Oh, nice. So on occasion, when I want to play something completely different or like fresh or new for me, but I still want to keep it old school, I have an Excel file that I built for Extra Life that randomizes SNES, Sega, and N64 games in a batch. And what it'll do is it'll randomly select what system I should play the game on and then what game it should be. And I wanted to run through the randomizer and I spun the wheel. So the randomizer spat out Beavis and Butthead, the game, for the Sega Genesis, which was different than the SNES version and the Game Boy version, all of which came out in 1994. We actually talked about a game that came out with three duplicate copies that were all different, and that was the Star Trek, the yeah, 25th we anniversary. About that just a few episodes just ago. Just a few episodes ago in our Star Trek episode, we talked about a game that came out, and it was three entirely different games, which is what happened to Beavis and Butthead. They weren't as divergent as the Star Trek games were, but they were still different games. Regardless, I was playing the Sega Genesis one. It is pretty convoluted, to say the least, when it comes to needing to progress forward in the mission. Based on the actions of watching the SNES game be played, it doesn't play as smoothly as the SNES versions played. Uh, it was developed by Radical Entertainment and published by Viacom New Media. It does hold up when it comes to the graphics. So the graphics are very reminiscent of the show. So if you are are a lover of Beavis and Butthead, it's it's worth checking out. I maybe check out the SNES version, but if you like that show and you're reminiscent and want to play a video game about them, check out this era of games as the like artwork and the humor is like the show incarnated. But the raunchy humor really couldn't offset for me the difficulty of just trying to get a close fart or burp onto an enemy since you're that's your weapon. You either you can either fart or burp and you have to get close to them while the enemy has reach so then you get the crap kicked out of you and then you die and go to hell because that's what happens i guess so to picture this game you you start it's it is a it can be co-op so you can play two players in this game so since there's beavis and butthead if you play as a single player you can control either beavis or butthead and they have two different sets of life now if one of them dies though the game is over and the game starts off they're trying to get guar 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 tickets and they're very excited but in classic beavis and butthead fashion they're eaten by a dog subsequently puked out by a dog and then run over by a lawnmower and beavis and butthead have to go trace back the tickets either the pieces of the tickets or you have to find the new tickets you just need to go to this concert is what you really want to do and you can get weapons but you need to buy them in the genesis version instead of find them in the snes version and the genesis version you have to sell items but nobody wants to buy the items that you have at least that's what my 
my experience was. Also, like random things just kind of fly at you, and it was interesting. The uh, the hub of the game though is like Beavis and Butthead's apartment. I guess they live together. I don't know. I'm actually not a big fan of the show. So if anyone in our, our audience is offended by that, I'm sorry. I just didn't watch the show nor had any inclination to do so. But the game, the hub, is in their, their apartment, either their living room or their bedroom, both of which are filthy. And you go over and you grab the remote control and you turn on the TV and you get to pick your stage selection from the TV, which is kind of cool. And you get to play different missions. Uh, I didn't know you can select the stage initially, so maybe I just played the wrong level, but I found out that you could select a stage after I was watching somebody play the SNES version because I wanted to see the differences between the Genesis and the SNES version. So there we have it. Uh, so that's what I've been playing most recently was Beavis and Butthead, the game. Zach, what about you? What have you been playing most recently? Well, Seth, I was in one of those states where I was like, I need to play a game for my recently played, but I don't have a lot of time to play that game because we had to record. So I played Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo. And by I played Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo, I mean I played the entire game because I learned you can probably beat Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo in about 30 seconds. The way you can do that is in old adventure games. Typically, there was a key on the keyboard. In this case, for Putt-Putt, it's the escape key that will allow you to skip the travel sequences that you're character makes from getting from point A to point B, which takes up pretty much the entirety of the game. So if you skip through all these and you just know where you're supposed to go, you can probably beat the game in under uh, probably around 30 seconds. I think the record right now is about 35. I didn't time myself, but I should have. Next time, maybe I will. So, Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo is a game by Humongous Games, and it came out in March of 1993. We talked a little bit about Humongous Games in a previous episode, episode 29, and we talked about games like Putt-Putt and such. Now, for those who might not have listened to our episode or don't remember, Putt-Putt is a car who is sentient, and he's made to do the work of the grown adults that are in his life. In Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo, Putt-Putt has this very weird friend named Outback Al, who is kind of like Steve Irwin if Steve Irwin was A, a truck, and B, owned a zoo. So, or maybe even kind of like the Tiger King. Kind of like the Tiger King, I guess you can say. So Outback Al has lost his animals uh, because he's very bad at the one job that he had, which is own this zoo. Al is very anxious because they're about to open the zoo. And Putt-Putt, being for some reason more responsible than an actual adult, is made to save the zoo. So you have to go around and find the missing wild animals animals. Uh, You do this by solving fairly simple puzzles, like figuring out that a cold snake might need something warm to drink, or assembling a land bridge so that a hippo can get across the ice. Or another one is just figuring out how to use socket wrenches, uh, because that is a difficult puzzle for Putt-Putt, because Putt-Putt is a literal child who's made to do the work of adults. In the end, the zoo is saved, and the friends you make along the way are also the zoo, because you just make friends with all the animals. Uh, But yeah, that's Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo. Again, you can beat it in about 30 seconds. Great. So if you have 30 seconds to spare and you want to enjoy a, a zoo-themed children's game, you can you can dedicate that time to that. And, and one thing to say about Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo real quick is that other humongous games typically um, have some replayability. So you come back to them and the puzzles might be a little different. I don't think Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo changes that much. I think everything is hidden in the exact same place. I think the only thing that changes is the socket wrench puzzle. But I'm pretty sure all the animals are always in the same locations. So that's why it's pretty easy to speed run. Because if you've played the game before, you know the puzzles. You can just and you're good. So today we're going to be talking about a series that we have talked about before. 
in a series that we'll probably talk about more of because it's one of my favorite series and it's a series Seth and I grew up with and that's Sonic the Hedgehog but we're specifically talking about Sonic CD which is one of the first uh, spin-offs of the Sonic franchise uh, in a way starting us off in 1991 the world was graced with the very first Sonic the Hedgehog game for the Sega Genesis and the game was a commercial success. It did really well for Sega, and it really put Sega as the main competition to Nintendo. In fact, the Genesis was starting to sell better than Nintendo in some places, so it made Nintendo very scared about this blue hedgehog and his fast speeds that he did. Now, not all was well for Sega despite the success. Sonic's lead programmer Yuji Naka was not very happy with the corporate policies of the company in Japan, so he decided in order to get a little creative freedom, him and some other team members would leave Japan and go to America to work at the Sega Technical Institute, or STI. At STI, Naka and his team, known as Sonic Team, began work on Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which would later be released in 1992. Back home in Japan, however, there were plans for a different Sonic game. Because while the sales of the Genesis were doing decently, Sega kind of had the foresight to realize, one of the few times they've ever had foresight, but Sega of Japan kind of had the idea that they might need to figure out ways to keep their Genesis system to be interesting to the audience. Because Nintendo, despite being out there with the Super Nintendo, was actively pursuing possibilities of doing a CD-based system. In, in secret with Sony, but also was in production of their N64. So Sega needed something that they could get out before Nintendo did anything big or changed up anything. So what they decided to do was work on a CD add-on for the Sega Genesis. And this add-on would evolve into the Sega CD or the Mega CD, uh, depending on the region you live in. And this CD add-on, as the name implies, would allow you to play CD-ROM-based games. Sega needed something to go with this add-on. They couldn't just release an add-on that didn't have any games or didn't have games that people cared about. So they decided that the best way to really push the console, this new add-on to its limits was to create a Sonic game. A Sonic game that could have uh, CD quality audio, probably cutscenes or some full motion video involved, and have the speeds that you would expect from a Sonic game or even faster than what you'd expect from a Sonic game. So they got to work on it. The person assigned to the project was Naoto Ashima, who was Sonic's character designer, and he was made the director of the team, with the rest of his team comprised of crew from various other Sega hits, like Revenge of, Sino Revenge of Shinobi, Golden Axe 2, and Streets of Rage. Now, originally the plan for Sonic CD was to create a port of Sonic 2 that was just going to be enhanced for the CD-ROM based machine which they were going to code name super sonic because that's original isn't that what he's called when he goes then he goes super yeah when he collects the emeralds and turns gold regardless they codenamed the the system supersonic they planned additional levels a fully orchestrated soundtrack sprite scaling and cutscenes. however despite its success overseas sonic 2 was not selling well in japan so sega reworked the idea going off of a different idea that the team had and they were going to title the, the game cd sonic the hedgehog which eventually was changed to sonic cd because honestly the title cd sonic the hedgehog sounds stupid <laughs> <laughs> so it does somebody discovered that it sounded stupid and said why don't we just put the sonic in front and that sounds better now the game was created on uh, macintosh to CI machines, with the graphics being developed on a Sega proprietary graphics system for the Genesis, uh, the Sega 
digitizer MK3. Graphic data would then be stored on a three and a half inch floppy disk and physically handed to the programmer to work into the game on the Macintosh to make it a game that would work with the Sega CD. Which I think is kind of funny. So back then, companies really liked having proprietary stuff because it meant other companies couldn't steal your stuff without being sued. So like, if except EA. it looked like, yeah, except EA. <laughs> but if it looked like, for example, Nintendo was using something that was only available in the proprietary software of Sega, Sega could easily bring them to court and say, listen, this is only available in our proprietary software that our developers use. They can't have it unless they stole our software. However, this does limit you. So because you're building the game on on commercial workstations, so they had to physically hand each other the disks because there wasn't a way to transfer that data back then. Uh, I just think that's funny. I'm imagining them all like sitting in a room and just being like, here, catch. <laughs> like, got it. Slips it in, types it in, passes the disk back, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, and a lot of other companies were, without having an interconnected database that you can share things quickly with people, other companies were also relegated to uh, even paper transferring just paper documents yeah, or tra- trucking physical documents from one terminal to another terminal to be able to work on it. Um, so yeah, I imagine that office, people spent a lot more time running around offices, and I bet you had those that guy who is moving around the office... But he doesn't actually do anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's like in the sweet spot where everyone else is really busy moving around the office. And he's like, he's like just getting up and walking over to do something. And then he gets up and just walks over, sits down and gets up and walks over and sits down. He's just not doing anything. But he's in that sweet spot where no one notices he's not doing anything. Maybe he doesn't even realize he's doing anything. Now... The, the game follows Sonic, as you would expect from a title, Sonic CD, as him and a new character named Amy Rose observe that Dr. Robotnik, the evil villain, has taken over this thing called the Little Planet. I, I don't really know how to explain this because it's not really well explained in the game, and it's different depending on the manual that you read. But the idea of the little planet is it's this moon that's not the moon because it's a whole planet that's very small that just appears in the sky for like a brief period of time and it just vanishes. And so Robotnik is like, I can get some valuable resources out of this place. And he literally chains it to the ground. Yeah, well, it's not going to vanish if he changes it. Well, it vanishes by, like, teleporting. So I don't know how chains are supposed to help. But can't, you teleport can't teleport if you're chained. If you're chained. <laughs> yeah. So Sonic decides that now it's his mission to stop Robotnik because that's what Sonic does best. Uh, and he travels to the little planet to fight Robotnik and Robotnik's new creation, Metal Sonic, which is a metal version of Sonic. I do I do like that, like, Dr. Robotnik's magnum opus for creating of robots is usually some sort of Sonic. Yeah, he just, like, remakes his arch enemy and then it goes badly and then he's like cool but he's like the perfect form the like final form that i'm gonna have that will defeat sonic is sonic it's like a backhand compliment to sonic and metal sonic's cool you actually do this really fun race with him at one point and you beat him and then he explodes so he's not that it's not that hard of a boss <laughs> <laughs> actually it's better than beating uh, koopa the quick and having koopa the quick explode because that'd be <laughs> gross <laughs> that'd be tragic Sonic CD marked a fairly different style of gaming, uh, in the Sonic universe, that is, or the Sonic gameplay style, that is. So to look at the Sonic game, Sonic 1 really focuses primarily on speed and platforming, and speed is kind of that that big one, uh, because it was new. Sonic 2 would expand on what Sonic 1 did, where... Um, you know, the speed gets a little better in certain places than it was in Sonic 1, and the platforming and the speed complement each other a little better than they did in Sonic 1. Sonic CD is not necessarily about speed. 
It's actually focused on exploration and platforming. Oshima, who was working on this game, wanted to make the game's world larger and offer more replayability by giving players the opportunity to explore and find new things every time they play it which is something that you can do with Sonic CD. So every time you play it, if you go a different route, you might find something different that you haven't seen the last time you played the game. I'm not saying it's an open world, but it's certainly open-ended in the direction that you take. Now, another mechanic that's actually kind of primary to beating the game with a like 100% perfect score is time travel. So each level is split into three zones. This is kind of common to Sonic games. The levels are usually split into zones. However, each zone is split into different time periods. There's past, present, future, and good future. That difference, future and good future, occurs because doing certain things in the past can have an impact on the future. So for example, when a player is playing the game, they'll run past a sign that says either past or future. And if you pass one of these signs and get enough continuous speed, Sonic will be launched into either the past or future, depending on the sign that he passed. Now, going into the past will put you in a world where uh, things are a bit more fully grown in terms of plant life. It's kind of the early days before Robotnik has taken over and um, there's less enemies. However, going into the past also means that there might be more obstacles because the path hasn't been cleared by Robotnik and his industrialization. But in the past, you might encounter the device that's building all the robots and you can destroy this device. And then if you go back into the future, there's no robots. And then if you complete all of the necessary, if you complete all the necessary items in the past so you have to destroy the robot machine and then you have to destroy this holographic projection of metal sonic beating up animals that i don't know if does anything other than scare the animals because he's not actually hurting them it's just a holographic projection of metal stomp sonic curb stomping on a squirrel and you have to destroy that if you destroy both of those the future is set into the good future where there's not only no enemies but also robotnik's industrialization has not occurred and the future looks prosperous and green that's kind of ideally what you want and if you go into the future without going into the past it's like a dystopia isn't it yeah so everything that's green is now metallic and there's more enemies and it's just more obviously controlled by robotic like the water turns like brown because he's dumping sludge into it now so it's obviously robotic controls the future if you don't change the past and is the time per level still there like you still have to do all this within a certain amount of time where you get a game over right so the level should be beaten within at least 10 minutes so there's still a time limit so it's really how you plan to use your time wisely in in completing the the different missions that are tasked of you there is a another component of the game which is collecting the time stones these are different than the chaos emeralds but they're the same thing so the time stones you can only unlock by collecting 50 rings and jumping into a big ring at the end of the zone and that will launch you into a special stage where you have to destroy ufos and collect the time stone and if you collect all the time stones then you get a perfect ending uh, to the game so if you don't then robotnik like juggles them and laughs at you and tells you to try again and it makes you feel very sad does he do that in another game too he does that in Sonic 2 and Sonic 1 if you don't collect all the Chaos Emeralds. So that's some of the cool new added components of the game. There's also some new abilities. So Sonic can spin dash similar to Sonic 2, but he can also do something called a super peel out. If you hold up, press the button for spin dashing, his legs will spin super fast and he'll kind of launch off, which is kind of cool. Now, interestingly enough with Sonic CD, Sega executives were really not as concerned about Sonic CD's production as they were about Sonic 2. Reportedly, and as people who are familiar with Sonic 2, the production was kind 
kind of plagued by just various issues. Um, you know, people put into time constraints, information getting leaked. Um, there was a copy of the game that was literally stolen from the floor of the New York toy show. It was not good. And Sega was not happy with the team at the t- at that time. It, it's kind of interesting that Sega was really putting the pressure on this game, Sonic 2, because it was called 2. And they weren't putting pressure on Sonic CD because it was called Sonic CD. <laughs> Mm. So they were already kind of expecting, you know, that the sales might not be great. So they weren't really as focused on it, which is interesting. I think Um, the team was allowed a bit more freedom. And because of this, they were able to incorporate more ideas that they had and that they wanted into the game. In the end, only one level ended up being cut from the final build of the game. I'm not exactly sure on what that level was, but I am aware that one level was cut, which wasn't bad compared to the three levels that were scrapped from Sonic 2 and Two of those levels were cut at the very last minute that they still have data in the game to this day that you can access. They're all garbled messes, but it's there. Genocide City. Genocide City was one of them. So it's kind of interesting that these games that were made at similar schedules kind of were treated differently. It really just had to do with the fact that they were... One was called Two, and one was called CD, and was a spinoff. Now, the uh, the final game features an animated opening and ending sequence and CD quality music, which is what they promised to deliver. Uh, interestingly enough, the Japanese and European releases of the game have entirely different soundtracks than the version released in the, the U.S. And the Japanese and European version has music that is slightly more based on techno music. However, the um, in America, the music was written and produced by Spencer Nielsen and David Young of Sega Multimedia Studio, with select tracks being written and produced by Mark Crew, a formal keyboardist of Santana. Yeah, the music does kind of have that little more prog rock kind of vibe to it. Yeah, like you'd expect so you, from Santana. You get a little more rock in the American version and a little more Daft Punk in the uh, in the Japanese European. Notably, the two themes. Like, I'll probably put Sonic Boom, which is the American theme, at the opening of this, but Sonic boom sounds a bit more like americanized than the japanese opening theme which is called toot toot sonic warrior is a very funny name so if you listen to the intro and the outro you'll be able to hear the difference the american will be in the front and the uh, out in the uh, japanese will be in the outro both of them were the intro for the game the game sonic cd was released on september 23rd 1993 uh, it was delayed in America for two months, thanks for them wanting a whole new soundtrack, which we just uh, went on about. And the, the game did come out to critical acclamation, with the game quickly becoming the bestseller on the Sega CD, selling 1.5 million copies, which yeah. is great. I, the Sega CD is a, an interesting device, being a uh, an attachment to your Genesis uh, to make the Tower of Power, as it were, when it comes to the stacking of the 32X on top of the Sega CD on top of the Sega Genesis. Especially if you have a Model 1 Sega CD, which goes at the bottom. So actually, we'll be talking about the Sega CD in a upcoming episode. We always like to go in reverse, so we'll talk about the games that were on it, and then we'll talk about the system itself. So if you're interested in what the Sega CD actually was, stay tuned. Now, the game was later ported to other consoles, such as Windows, though the Windows version was widely considered to be inferior due to the addition of loading screens. <laughs> so even though the Sega CD, I think it like loads at the same rate. It's just like the fact they added loading screens in gave this like illusion of it taking longer to load. And people were like, that's annoying. And that's that if you look at the reviews, that's like one of the things that's mentioned. Now, the Windows version came out in 1996 and this 1996 Windows 
Windows version was ported to the GameCube and PlayStation 2 in 2005 as part of the Sonic Gems Collection, which also contained the lackluster Sonic Racing game, Sonic R, and the even more lackluster Sonic fighting game, Sonic the Fighters. One review of Sonic Gems Collection at the time said, it has Sonic CD. It's got that going for it. We should do an episode on entirely bad Sonic games. Oh, there's a few. Now, the next version of the game was released in 2011, and this version was created by Christian Whitehead, who I've mentioned millions of times. He's the guy who worked on Sonic Mania. He also did the ports of Sonic 1 and 2 that went to the mobile phones, and he constantly works on Sonic games. Uh, He was originally a Sonic hacker. Whitehead's version wasn't a port. It's actually a full recreation of the game in the Retro Engine, which is an engine that he created. And the game was released on Xbox 360, PS3, iOS, Android, and PC, and features widescreen support, both soundtracks, and Tails as an unlockable player character, which is pretty cool. In Sonic CD for the, you know, Windows and for the Sega CD, you could only play a Sonic, which was kind of disappointing. If you played Sonic 2 and were like, hey, there are other players I can play as? And then you play Sonic CD and you're like, guess there weren't. (laughs) I'm just stuck with Sonic. Not that Sonic's bad, but it's nice to have variety. Sonic CD has since become the game that I like to say Sonic nerds like myself argue about whether or not it's the best Sonic game. Sonic 2 usually gets the claim to the title. That's what my I often claim as one of the best. Sonic CD often gets gets the claim. Sonic 3 and Knuckles or Sonic 3 alone often get those claims. Sonic Mania recently has taken the title from some people's views. So it's it's really a hodgepodge of who 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 thinks the best game is what. Personally, if I had to pick an order, I would go Sonic 2, Sonic Mania, Sonic 3, Sonic CD. Only with Sonic 3 being with with the Sonic and Knuckles attached. Yeah, cuz that's the complete game. Uh, not the not the Sonic 3 and Knuckles collection for the PC. That was that was Garbo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't hear Sonic. So if I had to do my listing, I would I would do I would start with the Sonic and Knuckles for the PC. Then I would go to Sonic Spinball, <laughs> and then I would do Sonic 3D Blast. I love Sonic 3D Blast. I know Sonic 3D Blast is actually a really good game. Sonic One. I actually really like Sonic One, mostly before uh, Marble Zone. Yeah, I'm a I'm a zone. big fan of Marble Zone, which is the the second level where there is marble and lava the two best things in life <laughs> annoying little caterpillar balls i think if you haven't played sonic cd what you should do is pick up a copy of the christian whitehead version uh, on steam it usually sells around 10 bucks it goes on sale a lot especially when sonic has some birthday coming up or something like that or sega just feels like giving away things i definitely recommend picking it up whether or not you want the mobile version I and mean, it's up to you but I, I if you get it on pc you can play it with like a modern controller or even plug in like an old usb to sega controller sort of situation so uh i would recommend it it's a it's a fun time uh, christian white had put a lot of work into making the game run as close to the original as possible and it pretty much feels like playing the original game just with some updated features like a better menu system and you get tails now so that's cool if you have a sega cd then go get the original game, I guess, if you want it. <laughs> so that's going to be our Sonic CD episode. That will be our Sonic CD episode. That's we should right. release this episode on CD. We could release this episode on CD. We could make a CD collection. Sonic uh, 3 and Classic Gaming Brothers CD collection. No, just any any episode that we talk about something on a CD, we can put on a CD. Oh, that'd be fun. Now, time for our byway pass. Ba-whoopa. I'll go first with my byway pass. It's my first time here doing a byway pass about hardware. I don't think I've talked about hardware before. Zach has talked about hardware. Though, on the day of recording, 
not the day that you all will listen to this, Steam announced their Steam Deck, which is a portable system that looks like it's going to be pretty impressive unless you play your Steam games out of the box. And it's a high-end computer that is in a form factor that looks a little like a Nintendo Switch. Uh, A lot of jokes have been made about a Valve releasing the Nintendo Switch Pro. To be fair to Valve, it's very hard to make a screen with two controllers on either side and not look like a Switch. Like, that's, I mean, which is what it is. And it's going to have a very similar dock that the Switch has. So it's it ultimately looks like a Switch. But if you think about it, it's hard to make something that looks like that that doesn't look like a Switch. Also, I guess Nintendo hasn't patented their Switch look. Now, the Steam Deck is going to be released in three different price points. They are relatively expensive. The lowest price point will be $399, uh, which is equivalent to uh, like a Nintendo Switch. Then the next price point would be $529 and the top price point would be the $649. They all come with a case and they they do not come with a dock. You have to buy the dock separately. The difference between them is storage speed and storage size. The 399 version has a PCEMM storage, which is 64. They have 64 gigs. And then the 529 has 256 gig SSD and the 649 has a 512 SSD. They also do come with micro SD slots so you could just expand the memory. So you can buy like a terabyte by SD card and just throw that in there and have that install some select games because as you may know some of these games that come out for the PC are massive especially when they're poorly optimized especially when they're poorly optimized but it does have them playing control and Jedi Fallen Order pretty smoothly uh, and it's going to come with a bunch of buttons on it including two little like things that look like mouse pads i hope they got their touch thing better than what they did on their steam controller i feel like they failed at the steam controller so they should have learned so that's why i'm trusting them but i'm gonna put this down as a buy i'm planning on picking this up the pre-orders did open up on july 16th you may still be able to pre-order one now you do have to spend five dollars to pre-order them as they will be taking orders by your queue by the time you get the pre-order in December. So if you want to get a higher end one, start saving now. It's, you know, puts put a hundred bucks away every couple of weeks or whatever and save up to whatever version you want. And then come December, treat yourself. And because uh, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Everybody getting something. <laughs> something close. So Zach, what are you excited about by waiting or passing? Now, the game that I am excited about by waiting or passing on, which actually you might be able to play it on your Steam Deck because this game is Elden Ring. Elden Ring is due out January 21st, 2022. It's being produced by From Software and published by Bandai Namco Entertainment. Uh, the game is a collaboration between uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki of Dark Souls, uh, or rather the Souls games, and novelist George R.R. Martin of the book series A Song of Ice and Fire, which people might know better by its adaptation title, Game of Thrones. So we have the guy who brings us the some of the hardest video games available to someone who brings us one of the richest lores available, and combining their their genius together to create this video game so elden ring uh looks pretty cool it's set in this kind of medieval fantasy setting as one would might expect coming from someone who worked on dark souls which is set in a medieval setting and someone who worked on game of thrones being george r martin it is this fantasy medieval setting uh of of monsters and and dragons and all different type of creatures and stuff one of my favorite creature designs is kind of looks like a mimic but it's a giant clay pot that has legs and like chases after you and it looks terrifying (laughs) like it it just looks spooky 
Um, but yeah, overall looks really cool. Looks very good. Um, I don't really know how it's going to play because what we've seen so far has mostly just been cinematics or some very quick. I don't know if we've even really seen gameplay of it yet. I think they've shown things in game, but not necessarily how it plays. I'm assuming knowing from previous titles that FromSoft has created probably will play similarly to the Souls series. So um, an action role-playing title where most likely it will be pretty hard because most of the Soul games are pretty hard. And that includes like Sicero and uh, Bloodborne, which are not in the Souls franchise, but are part of that kind of series overall. I do like the Souls games. I actually really liked Bloodborne when I played through it, and I liked Dark Souls 3, which I had um, and never beat, but I did like it. Um, but I'm also very bad at video games as a whole, and video games that are designed to be hard uh, make me very stressed and very anxious. So I try not to play them a lot because I get very mad, and then I don't want to play them ever again. And then I end up selling them (laughs) because I'm like, I don't want to play this game ever again. I think I'll wait on Elden Ring. I kind of want to hear how it plays. I want to like get a comparison of someone's like, oh, this is going to be like Dark Souls, but like crazy hard. Or if it's going to be like Jedi Fallen Order, which people call Dark Souls on easy mode, (laughs) which is kind of, you know, what I would want is a Jedi Fallen Order Dark Souls game. Easy to play, fun to enjoy. Anyway, that's uh, that's my buy weight pass. I did learn something about this in the news today. Elgato. Who? Elgato. Oh, Elgato? Yeah, they've announced a new product, the Stream Deck. They're making something called the Stream Deck, not the Steam Deck. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> they chose a poor day to launch. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really, really funny. <laughs> They're like, hey guys, did you hear about the Stream Deck? And everyone's like, the Steam Deck? Yeah, we know. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm going to do our the things that we like to do at the end of our episode now. So in the last episode, we talked about uh, Fallout. And this episode, we talked about Sonic. And we, we do talk about the, the gameplay and the kind of like the bit, a little bit of lore in the game. But if you want to hear more about like a deep dive on lore, and I'm saying this just to lead into you contacting us, but we may just do it regardless if you contact us. But if you do want us to do a deep dive on the lore, or if you want us to cover something specific, perhaps you are uh, very interested in the Streets of Rage, and you want us to go back and talk about Streets of Rage specifically and not just beat em up games, but talk about the Streets of Rage franchise. Or if you're really into SimCity, I don't think we've actually ever talked about SimCity. So uh, we, we can do that. If you do, send us an email. And you can send that email to classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can also contact us through sending emails to like Seth at Classic Gaming Brothers or Zach at Classic Gaming Brothers. It all goes to the same email address. Just send us over an email. You can also go to our website, which is Classic gamingbrothers.com and there you can send us an email in the contact form on our website however if you want to listen to us you can just flip over to the main homepage, and there's our lounge and you can listen to every episode there and if you don't want to listen to us on the website and you want to listen to us on something else you can go and find us on any podcast listening applications there are such as stitcher spotify or itunes now so you've done you've done this you've sent us an email you've listened to an episode you probably did that in reverse because sending 
sending us an email unprompted, you're probably a spammer or a scammer. So if you listen to an episode and then you sent us an email, you contact us and you want to do more because you really like Classic Gaming Brothers content, there's got to be something else that you can do. You can support us by leaving us a review on our iTunes. Go to find us on iTunes and give us a review. You can also review us on whatever you listen to us, Stitcher, Spotify, what have you. iTunes, I think, does the, is, is the best for us, mostly because I think iTunes has a larger share of the podcast network. However, uh, just drop us a review and uh, it really helps us to uh, review the show to make us be better discoverable and be found and so that more people can listen and tell your friends three friends no more no less and that's a joke if you want to tell more friends you can there's another way you can support us you can follow us on social media we have a facebook an instagram a twitch and a twitter our facebook instagram and twitch are all classic gaming brothers just search that in whatever those which whatever platform you're on and you'll find us give it a like thumbs up ring bells do all that and then we have a twitter which is cg brothers pod which you can follow and all of those mediums we will tweet out our episodes and you can know when the episodes drop and then you can listen to them spoiler alert they come out on sunday so there you are but we also release additional content we have some stuff that we planned towards the end of the year that's going to come out probably hopefully we'll have something nice and new for all of your listening ears in november maybe december of this year we have something planned for those who are listening who don't know um this year uh seth me i'm getting married so uh, i've been busy and will be busy until i get back from my vacation which is also called a honeymoon so when i when i do that and i get caught back up with everything that i missed when i was gone for so long I'm going to say that I'm going to be probably back up to full speed in October, a married man. And we do have some things set up for an October release that we're going to be working on, which will probably be ready for you guys in November or December. So look out forward to your calendar. That is a classic Gaming Brothers commitment that we are going to try and get something new to you. That is, we are excited about and we are partnering with somebody who's also very excited about it. So look forward to that. And now have I forgotten anything? Don't play games like my brother. and don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we have been the classic gaming brothers. That's, That's right. right. You sounded like a goat at the end there. Ah, let's try to go for like Tony the Tiger. Ah, Ram, you. Oh, oh, I got that. I got that. I got You're that. Great. Get out of here. Live alone. Live in place. Hit the employee. What do you get, say? Back in. Doom, doom. Cosmic Doom. Let's go, James.